Welcome to part two of the series on salvation. Our focus will be on what the Bible says and practical experience. We each perceive information differently. We most likely understand salvation differently. To improve in biblical accuracy means to learn more precisely what the Bible says through increased objectivity and collaboration with others who do the same. If we draw conclusions about information based upon our upbringing, traditions, customs, habits, and hobbies, we may miss the mark. Here is an example. Think of the word apple and what it means to you. Some people may smile while others may feel uncomfortable. Some may recall enjoying an apple while others remember disappointment. Computer professionals may instantly think about the Apple computer and its components. A grocer may think of the produce section. A farmer may think of various trees. A nutritionist may think of fiber and how eating apples are healthy. A physicist may think of its parts broken down into atoms. Each person from their own different way of living will perceive Apple with their own understanding. And to see it differently may be difficult although entirely possible, if only they let themselves pursue such insight. Learn about the Mary's Room knowledge argument. Try to imagine this argument with a person who never has any practical experience with love. God calls us to one mindset, a mindset with experience in God's righteousness which can lead us into salvation. To write our thinking with the Bible, we will need to think about it long enough for it to be stored into our long-term memory and understand the information through experience. I have found biblical concordance studies to be helpful to learn biblical truth. Also, collaboration with others helps me correct my misunderstanding. Do a Google search about the proverb, Blind Men and the Elephant, and think about it in practical experience. Now looking back at our example, what if the farmer, physicist, computer professional, and grocer agreed to trust a dictionary to define apple? Now they can think about apple with agreement on how it's defined. We can do this with the Bible. We can read to hold each other accountable to speak truthfully regarding the Bible to help eliminate incorrect ideas about God and salvation. We can do this, and it would clarify and help us to agree on things. Because the Bible was written by scribes in a different time with different customs and trends, and then translated from one language to another, I find it beneficial to use a repeated neutral defining platform for words like salvation. I use BibleHub.com. If you see a word and wonder what the original meaning of it meant, you can search online for help. If it's Old Testament, I'll type the word Hebrew, and then I'll type the word define, and then I'll put the word I want to know. And then there will be different links to help explain what that word meant in Hebrew. That's for Old Testament. If New Testament would be Greek, so then I would type the word Greek, and the word define, and then the word that I want to know, and then search. And then I can learn more accurately about what that word really means. And since we all have smart devices these days, we can do this pretty easily. 
as I said, I try to stay consistent, so I use BibleHub.com, and I use that uh, to define things. Now, BibleHub.com defines salvation with both Hebrew and Greek as being delivered out of destruction. So we're going to start talking about salvation as being delivered out of destruction. Now, have you ever experienced being delivered out of destruction? I have found that our souls, hearts, and minds can be delivered out of destruction as we increasingly grow them in loving God through participation in God's righteousness. God's good can save us if we seek it out and participate in it with increasing measure. If you get confused, listen to more of my podcasts. They work together to build understanding. They may bring up some questions, but each episode can help provide more clarity. In my other podcast episodes, I share how I have been delivered out of destruction and continue to be delivered out of destruction. The Bible describes destruction in different ways. There are physical forms of destruction like plagues, starvation, and even physical death. Then there are spiritual forms of destruction that come from envy, lies, lust, selfish ambitions, wrath, and greed. Inward authority focuses upon spiritual effects of the heart, mind, strength, soul, our relationships, how we see ourselves, and God. I worked in the behavioral health field for several years. I witnessed the effects of destruction with minds and hearts at very serious levels. Some of my friends also pursued such destruction. I learned a lot about my own inward destruction and a path to healing. I learned it through my own participation in growing with God's righteousness. I learned it through witnessing others and people I mentored. I was taught to trust God more than anything else, and I built that relationship with God. I was delivered out of destruction. Then I began reading the Bible. We must learn to identify or recognize our spiritual destruction, or we might not seek to be delivered from it. We will not make corrections until we believe we need to make corrections. We must see and become convicted we are in error. Then we must find corrective action with God's righteousness and walk in it. Try doing a concordance search with the word walk in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We will need to apply ourselves with inward corrective action. Luke 13.3 and 5 I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus said this, I'm just a messenger. I choose to trust more in what Jesus says than the apostles. If what the apostles say contradicts what Jesus is saying, or seems to contradict what Jesus is saying, I need to understand it before drawing a conclusion to trust a contradiction with Jesus. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And there are teachers actively instructing Christians that their salvation is not in any way dependent upon what they do. Something is amiss. Yet so many Christians cling to this teaching. And BibleHub.com defines perish as to destroy. BibleHub.com defines the word repent as to change one's mind or purpose. It also provides an example which says, I repent, change my mind, change the inner man. 
Salvation can come as we change our inward mind to grow in alignment with God's righteousness, as we grow our thinking more with love, peace, mercy, truth, compassion, forgiveness, and justice, we can become increasingly delivered from destruction. When I first made restitution for harm done, I was introduced to a whole new inward reality. The battle I experienced within my thoughts of submitting my pride for humility was overwhelming. It's kind of like betting a lot of money on the toss of a coin. Part of me says don't do it, while another part of me believes that good can come from it. Righteousness involves deeper sincerity, truth, love, and compassion. When I made restitution to others for harm done, I was to help them find closure, to be at peace, and try to fix what I have broken. I needed to have compassion while making things right. If I was careless and unthinking, little spiritual good could come from it. Ephesians 5.6 Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So I'm thinking about empty words and disobedience. Do we do what we say? Do we practice what we preach? Are we sincere when we speak? Are we thinking, speaking, and acting increasingly with God's righteousness? Psalm 71:15. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. It says, for I do not know their limits. One of the reasons I press more toward obedience with biblical instructions is because I want to see just how good my life can be if I continue to grow and do more. A concordant study on the word continue can reveal some understanding that what we pursue affects spiritual results. Acts 14.22 Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. As I shared in other episodes, at one time I did not know God's righteousness nor anything about God. Suffering was normal to me and there was no good in the world. I was unaware of how to search or find love. My friends and I would say, life sucks and then you die. Like being in a house that is burning. If we do not know we can leave it, we will be burned in it. There is a path and a way out. It's called God's righteousness, but we must walk the path. Jesus is telling us how to exit spiritual suffering, how to exit the burning house. Are we going to accept the instructions as a way of life to be delivered from destruction? I recall a time when I was going to have company come over and I evaluated my home to see if it was ready. As I began to clean, I became overwhelmed with how dirty it was. Because I was cleaning, I was looking for dust and smudges. And because I was looking for imperfections, as if a guest was coming over, all of a sudden I could see many imperfections I was used to ignoring. Through my careful evaluation of imperfections, I realized truth I couldn't see before. I mean, it was there, but it just didn't come to my attention. I learned just not to see the dust and some of the dirt. Another point I want to make is that the conviction of cleaning and correcting 
Much of the dirt and mistakes around the house was a little overwhelming. I was embarrassed. I even thought it might be easier if I just didn't have guests over. My mind has a tendency to avoid letting others into my life for many ungodly reasons. Fear is perhaps the leader. It's amazing how something so simple as how the house looks could impact whether I invite somebody over or not. Jesus talks about this in Luke 10, 40-42. It says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I need to pray, to learn, to choose, to invite people over, no matter how dirty my house is, for the companionship, the care, the compassion, the brotherhood, and the spiritual things, not the superficial things. Over and over, we're warned against pride and vanity, greed, things like that, and how destructive it is, how it interferes with our relationships and creates distance and loneliness. We need to focus more on the togetherness, love and tolerance, which is a code in 12-step programs. We need more of that. After 16 years of sobriety, I evaluated myself for God's righteousness and I became overwhelmed. It seemed as though love did not exist in me. I was strong in truth, justice, faith, and forgiveness, but felt empty with love. I read 1 Corinthians 13.3, which ends with, But have not love, it profits me nothing. I just wanted to emphasize that one part. Have not love, it profits me nothing. There are so many verses that present like ultimatums. Try reading Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 20, or John 15. Both would be a better idea. I think we all understand that faith is a requirement for salvation, which is being delivered from destruction. But are we aware that faith without love leads to nothing? Can nothing deliver us from destruction? 1 Corinthians 13.2, it ends with, Though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Around two, 2007, I saw the light, but it was convicting. The word in the Bible convicted me of how I was missing the mark because of this love. The way I was living life was so wrong. The answer was with love, but not love as demonstrated by media, nor even those that I experienced in the church my family, or even most 12-step meetings. The love that I understand, the love of God, the love of Jesus, is complete sincerity, trust, and reliability. This is the great love, the kind of love that you would die for your friends. This is the mark. Anything else is missing the mark. It's not bad if my love is less than this. It's just missing the mark. And missing the mark is sin. It's sinful love. If I'm going to speak the truth, I'm going to call it 
like it is. It's true that love needs to be compassionate and gentle, but it needs to be sincere, not with false flattery or deception. It's not about image management or cover-ups, putting on masks. It's about being real, authentic, true, sincere, genuine. It's the kind of love that has discernment, where we think about things before speaking, where we do not say yes and call later and say I can't make it. It's a love with responsibility and accountability. This is the kind of love that I find in the Bible. But love, as the Bible teaches it, I needed to know this type of love, but know it through experience. That meant I needed to seek it out with my thoughts, attitude, words, demeanor, and actions. I knew that the only way to know anything well is to do it well. And to do anything well means I need to practice it and practice a lot. I had to begin practicing love. Like anyone taking their first steps, I made mistakes. My first steps were learning how, how to respect differences and tend to them with love and tolerance. Through my participation and repentance, I have experienced being delivered out of destruction. And I did not really see how my way of doing things was destructive until I experienced more of God's righteousness and practiced more of love. I had to change my being of thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions in order to walk more in alignment with God's righteousness to see, witness, experience, and learn how good it is. The personal ongoing journey of repentance is not attractive as I do it, and those I know who do it also find it to be a struggle. Matthew 10, 38-39 says, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's been my experience that suffering with self-denial for growing with God to be delivered from destruction is the process. I have heard hundreds of testimonies validating this process. I have also experienced even more false testimonies that we do not have to suffer. But what does the Bible say? And what character in the Bible did not suffer? 1 Peter 3.14 But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Is there any inclination within you that suffering is not involved in our walk to grow in God's righteousness. I plead with you to do a concordance search with the word suffer in the Bible. Learn how the Bible uses the word suffer. Think of it in real-world practical experience. Change, a lot of times, involves some suffering. To grow, a lot of times, involves some suffering. We absolutely must accept suffering as a part of the journey into salvation. We can learn it as a part of healing and entry into being delivered from destruction. I believe the suffering we experience as we grow in God's righteousness ought to be normalized. It ought to be as normal as breathing. 
yet also the joy we experience afterwards ought to be normalized. Very good things develop within us as we grow in God's righteousness. We gradually become better spiritual beings that can encourage and bring hope to others. We can become better partners, spouses, family members, and employees. My wife loves seeing the changes in me, but does not enjoy my calling to her to do likewise. She also struggles with this inward truth. She loves my new attitude, patience, and kindness, but she does not enjoy the conviction of her own soul to reciprocate. Speaking the truth with love can fill souls and convict them. The demonstration speaks so much louder than words, yet conversations are needed. Conversations help us sort through the confusion. Conversations help encourage and guide. Each of us must face each other to either continue what we do or change and grow with God's righteousness. Many of us can be completely unaware of our destructive ways because it can be normalized. If our goal is to be like others around us, then we will miss the mark. The mark is God. If we are Christian, read John 15. If we are Christian and want to grow as the Bible says Christians are to grow, then we will be pursuing certain character traits. We will be practicing and improving in that character. God's righteousness, and we will evaluate and compare ourselves to that character. If we are seeking to fit in with others and meet the standards of those around us, we may become very confused as to why we are feeling out of place. Our lives may look right because we compare ourselves with the world, yet inwardly we can feel not right, because inwardly we are not fitting in with God's righteousness. We can live in dysfunctional relationship systems and believe they are normal. I did it and my friends did it. Few of us change and leave the dysfunction behind for God's righteousness. Like someone who dies from addiction or never leaves an abusive relationship, we too, if we do not act upon certain spiritual solutions, we will suffer from our choices to stay in the dysfunction which leads us into destruction. We all sin, but not all of us are improving in God's righteousness for improved salvation and deliverance from destruction. When I first began this inward evaluation, it was heavy on conviction, with practically no salvation or feeling of being delivered from destruction. It took time with baby steps, practice into God's righteousness, which involves suffering. Before I realized I was experiencing salvation, I had to act according to God's righteous ways long enough for it to grow within me before I could sense the good in it. As I confessed, repented, restored, studied, and collaborated about God's goodness, I slowly began to witness spiritually wonderful and amazing experiences. We all can improve in God's righteousness. We can grow such character in our thoughts, attitudes, and deeds. If we can agree with this point, then we have a chance to open our minds and humble our pride enough to take more action into such alignment. We will need to look closely at our inward behavior for ways we can improve. But first, we must want righteousness. 
If we do not want it, how can we really take action with our hearts and minds for it to become part of who we are and protect us? If we do not want it, will we embrace it? Will we cling to it? We will need to desire it. I recall a time mentoring a man who was suffering an addiction. I remember mentioning peace as a goal, but more importantly, I remember his reaction. He burst into laughter as if peace was a stupid idea. His faith was in experiencing extreme euphoric sensations. Peace was a threat to what he followed. Much destruction followed the man after that. His mind could not open up to comprehend the good in God's righteousness because his mind was clinging so tightly to evil which brought such seemingly good feeling experiences. He was seeking out physical comforts while sacrificing spiritual comforts. My experience has taught me that the world values a sense of humility in other people but rarely sees the value in humbling themselves. I used to think lowly of peace, meekness, kindness, and patience, gentleness. I thought that way because I didn't really understand it. How do we react when we are invited to grow in God's righteousness? Something we might not really understand. Are we willing to practice ego deflation and humbling ourselves for the improved practice of God's character and righteousness to even desire god's righteousness we will need to open up our minds to learn something we do not understand which can be uncomfortable and confusing and take some time and effort some self-discipline and diligence isaiah 42 16 i will bring the blind by a way they do not know i will lead them in paths they have not known I will make darkness light before them, and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them, and not forsake them. It says, bring the blind by a way they did not know. I thought of peace and compassion to be the way of fools. I did not know it, and this was because of all the liars, cheaters, and exploiters in the world. How could I have compassion when there's so much evil in the world? I was thinking to protect myself. I was afraid to care. My heart was broken in my teenage years and I decided not to open it again. Later, after finding God, I learned I did not love. In my teenage years, I had this thing called infatuation. I worshipped the other person. That was my mistake. My heart was crushed by a person because I misplaced my worship. I suffered from idolatry. I idolized a person. I learned an idea that my dream girl was going to rescue me. This fantasy crushed me. It was my beliefs and my understanding is why I got hurt, not because of love. In relearning to trust spiritual principles and character, character that went contrary to my own understanding, habits, and experience, I had to practice surrendering my own ideas. I had to trust in ways my understanding believed were wrong. It felt awkward. It felt out of place. Really, I felt like an idiot because I was acting in ways I believed to be stupid. Proverbs 3.5 Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. Let's remember that this Proverbs was in Hebrew, and in Hebrew the word heart includes the mind. In the Old Testament, when it says trust in the Lord with all your heart, or with anything with the heart, it's including the mind. It's important to keep that in perspective. Someone once said, we change when the path of where we are going becomes more painful than the path toward change. This was my experience. My life was spiraling downward into the pit of despair. I was miserable and had enough foresight to see the misery was only beginning and was going to be worse. We will need to have enough desire, want, and interest to get us into new action. There is an old saying, out of sight, out of mind. We can build desire through building an understanding of how God's righteousness can bring good things into our lives. But in order to do so, we will need to continually bring into our awareness every day God's righteousness to grow it and understand it better and better. We will need to understand some simple steps to think it, speak it, pray for it, and act upon it. There is plenty of information about God's righteousness, how to study it, think about it, and act upon it at the website www.inwardauthority.com. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Mm-hmm.